This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. It's time for football. Salah. Let's take Cancelo off. Brilliant from Mo Salah. And still, Salah. Oh, sensational. Absolutely sensational. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. Hello um, and welcome to Just for Kicks here on BFM, the football show. And with me, Cam Raslan, as your host. And this is a very exciting technological episode because we have, all the way from Kuala Lumpur, we have Keshika Subarao. Hello, everyone. Great to have you here. Keshika, by the way, actually is an actual football coach. And so she really knows how to kick a ball. And we also have, all the way also from Kuala Lumpur, Bob Holmes. I don't know how to kick a ball, actually. I never learnt the trick, but uh, I enjoy watching it. And, right. um, I hope to impart some of that over to the listeners. And also, Bob Holmes has a brand new microphone, so we're very excited about that. And all the way from Japan on a bullet train, we have Des Corkill. Indeed, very exciting reason to be on the bullet train as well, following Johor Darrell Taksim in the AFC Champions League. So um, with that and KL City's news, it's a, a good week for Malaysian football. Well, uh, speaking of which, uh, we normally very Premier League, English Premier League uh, centric, but we're going to start with Malaysian football scene. Des, could you tell us, uh, well, how's it going for Malaysian teams? Well, the, the big news this week was uh, Kuala Lumpur City qualifying for the uh, ASEAN Zone Final in the AFC Cup. Uh, they got a, a terrific draw, nil-nil draw against Vettel of Vietnam and won 6-5 on penalties uh, to make it through to the regional zone. Sadly, they will not be taking on Kedah. Kedah were beaten by PSM Makassar. Uh, from Indonesia. So uh, it's going to be a KL City versus PSM Makassar. They met each other in the group stages in the AFC Cup. And I think Kuala Lumpur might fancy their chances of winning this ASEAN zone and then maybe uh, going on representing Malaysia uh, with, with some authority in the regional finals. Uh, the AFC Cup is very complicated, but to get to the ASEAN zone final is a fabulous achievement for Boyan Hodak and his team. And JDT in Japan, how's that? So Johor Darul Taksim, they've had a, a wonderful season so far. They they won a big game against Tringanu in the in the league by two goals to one. They meet Tringanu in the uh, FA Cup final. But next week uh, they're taking part in the AFC Champions League round of 16, where they take on Urara Reds. Uh, it's taking place in Japan at the Saitama Stadium, a neutral venue. Um, but for Johor Darul Taksim, with their form. And the way they were able to dismantle Ulsan, even though they're under new management, I think this is a, a real possibility for Johor, particularly if Bergson and Forestieri up front carry on their magnificent goal-scoring uh, streak. And if Arif Ayman can continue to produce the goods as well, Aris scored a, a hat-trick against Penang in the FA Cup semi-final last week. It, it's looking very, very positive for Malaysian football on the club scene. The international team is doing well as well. So um, I think for once we can really put thumbs up and let's just hope it carries on KL have done a great job, and Johor Darul Taksim, well, they've been the flag bearers for a long, long time. Uh, and if they take on and beat Urara Reds, that's a quarterfinals of the AFC Champions League. That is really big time. It really is a wonderful achievement if they're able to do it. So, Des, we're going to lose you at the end of part one, because one, uh, we're not sure about your connection, but also your battery's going to die. But before you go, uh, let's jump across to the Premier League. Let's, let's, I want to catch your thoughts on just one thing. Liverpool. Liverpool over the last weekend drew 
kind of surprisingly. Um, so that's the end of their season. We should all just like just give up, shall we? Uh, no, not quite. Lucky to get the draw, though, because Fulham came out uh, uh, very, very quickly at them. Um, there's still a few doubts about the penalty for Mitrovic. There's uh, no real contact, but never mind. Um, Fulham deserved at least uh, a draw, possibly the victory. What it does do, it puts them behind the, 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 the Manchester City um, standard bearers. City were just awesome. Haaland was frighteningly good against West Ham. Liverpool, they'll lose Thiago Alcantara. You know what? There's... I think this Palace game is really, really important for them. I expect them to win. If they don't, then they're suddenly a few points behind. But no, the crowd will get behind them. They've had 10 days to work on uh, all the problems they had at Craven Cottage. So I'm expecting a Liverpool victory. But it's uh, early, early season problems. Not Man United-style problems, but early season problems nonetheless. Yeah, we're going to dedicate um, a whole part to Manchester United in a moment, Keshika. So, so I hope you're ready for that. But, well, there's... Uh, Hang around for another couple more minutes. We're going to continue on the Liverpool front. Why don't we? Hey, uh, Bob, what did you think of Fulham's display against Liverpool? I mean, there really shouldn't have been any doubt, but there really was. Uh, I thought it was tremendous. It was a shock, actually, because um, being a, a fan of a fellow promoted team, I was I was expecting Fulham and Bournemouth to go down. And I thought that Forrest might survive. Well, if anyone saw anything of Forrest, uh, it'd be the complete opposite. Forrest to go down, Fulham and Bournemouth to survive on those performances. But of course, it was only one game. But Fulham, I thought Fulham were great, really. They were a class act in the championship. They were streets ahead. And Mitrovic, who did trouble Van Dijk more than I think anyone has, and that's including some of the top European strikers, um, he scored 43 goals, a record. Uh, that's a goal a game, isn't it? Um, virtually a goal a game in a tough league. That is some going. Now, he has been in the uh, Premiership before, rather unhappily at both Fulham and Newcastle, who took a punt on him. Um, he got injured, he got sent off at both clubs, and he really did have unhappy stays. So he's got unfinished business. And the way he started, uh, he looks as if he means to complete it. Um, and I think, based on that, I think Fulham have got a fighting chance of, of staying up. They look well organised, and they had the, the guy to, to finish off, uh, the, uh, to uh, finish everything off. I'd, I agree with Des. I think the penalty was dubious. I think he was always going down. That's why Liverpool protested so vehemently. But nevertheless, Fulham deserved a, a draw, at least, from that game. Gave Liverpool something to think about. Well, speaking of which, Keshka, I owe you an apology. Because last week I asked you, what should Fulham do in order to avoid disaster? And you said that they should continue playing their game the way that they play. And I thought to myself, well, that's not going to work. <laughs> they got to go full Sam Allardyce. But you were right. Uh, against Liverpool, of all teams, it, it worked. I think the difference now is going to be if they can actually be consistent with their performance. Because a lot of the time, whether it's the top half of the table or getting relegated, it all comes down to consistency. And I think that's a lot harder to do. Because if you go into one game and you perform well, but then the next game you go the opposite direction, it's going to be really tough because you're hanging on to, somewhat you're hanging on to luck. 
and the type of team that the opponent is going to feel. But if you keep the same style of play and you are consistent in your prep and you take that week in, week out, match by match, I do think if they do that, they stand a good chance at even finishing mid-table possibly. You sound like you're really speaking from experience there. You've had this situation, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, we're going to take a short break, and we have lost uh, Des Corkill, presumably in a tunnel somewhere near Mount Fuji. And uh, But we'll continue, and we're going to be talking Keshika, Manchester United, here in a moment on Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. More football when we come back. Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. And we're back on Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. And now, the uh, coming up over the, the weekend will be Brentford versus Manchester United, where Manchester United are going to take the clown car down, to, down south, and we're going to have a whole lot of laughs, uh, except for the likes of Keshika, who's a Manchester United fan. Over the weekend, I don't know, I mean... People talk about him having a, a, a good preseason. It was like Manchester United had they just carried on from last season, and it was a disaster. I think that whole uh, preseason thing is a myth because sometimes you have a great preseason and a terrible start to the league, and sometimes it's the opposite. For us, it was opposite previously. So now having a bad start might be a positive thing if you look at it that way. But I, th- <laughs> nice. but <Very> I think. Nice. <laughs> But I think in in general, it's very hard to tell in terms of where United is at the moment. But the game against Brentford will potentially be something that would decide the tone of the season. Because usually teams, when they get defeated like we did last weekend, where everyone thought we were meant to win that game easily and we struggled massively, I think the comeback, the response to that is going to tell everything that we need to know for this coming season. Okay, so Keshika clearly is a a glass-half-full kind of girl. Um... But uh, Bob, let's turn. You, you've got no skin in this game. What did you think? What do you think of Manchester United moving forward? And I want to ask a specific question: what, Was Ten Hag very lucky that Ronaldo didn't come on the pitch and score two goals? Uh, lucky that he didn't. Didn't because otherwise, it's we're just back to the Cristiano Ronaldo show. I see what you mean. Yeah. Well, um, they might need him to do just that, I think, the way things are going. I mean, they don't have a a number nine. Uh, They let some quality go, didn't they? Uh, There's all this talk about getting rid of the poison in the dressing room. But when you look at the players that left, there was some quality there. There was Pogba, Lingard, Matic, Mata, Cavani. I think I've missed a couple. Um, But they haven't really replaced them. And the guy that was expected to deliver the goals is, of course, Ronaldo. And then he had his hissy fit. And I guess he's still having it because there's still two and a half weeks of the transfer window left. And he wants to leave the club. And uh, his agent, uh, Jorge Mendes, is desperately trying to find somebody that'll take him. But all is not lost because under the new regulations, uh, Ronaldo could leave for a club in the January transfer window and play the second half or the business end of the Champions League, which is what he desperately wants to do. He'll miss out on the easy pickings of the group phase, but uh, that's uh, not the end of the world if he has to just knuckle down. And I think, frankly, he's got to eat a dish 
with which he's not familiar. Humble pie. I think he's just got to knuckle down and accept the fact that he won't be starting every game, but he'll play a part, he'll come on. Uh, he may skip the Carabao Cup matches and that sort of thing. But um, I think that's how it's going to pan out. I don't see him going to a club now that's going to give him Champions League football. He's left it too late. Nobody wants it, unless Chelsea have suddenly have an about turn. But I think that would, um, Thomas Tuchel, I think, put a stop to, to that idea. So a lot is still going to depend on Ronaldo. And then, of course, there's the dressing room atmosphere and whether he's considered poison as well. I mean, I sense that there, with such a great professional that he is, it's undeniable and he's an inspirational figure to young players and all that. But I sense that there is a prima donna in there bursting to get out. And I think this will be the test. Does he knuckle down and be a real pro and do his best for the club? Or does he uh, cause trouble? And in which case, I think this season will be a bit of a disaster. Uh, Kashika, have you ever dealt with uh, prima donnas in the dressing room? I mean, naming no names. And uh, if so, what, what do you do? especially if they are called Cristiano Ronaldo, greatest of all time? I think it comes down to relationship between the manager and the player because I have had that in the past, but I feel like if they have a good relationship with the manager and there's trust there that you're going to look out for their best interests, then potentially, but as a coach or a manager, you have to balance the interests of the club and the player at the same time. So I feel like if Ten Hag does that, then he's going to come out of this succeeding compared to other managers at, at United previously. But that's going to be a very hard thing to do, considering Ronaldo being the, one of the biggest players in the world. So Yeah, yeah. So it's going to be a disaster. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on to uh, the other side of Manchester, where it's really not being a disaster. Bob, um, last weekend we saw the unveiling, the, un- the unsheathing, the, the revealing of Harlan, and he was spectacular. It's... Um, Two goals. I don't know. I I look back to the times when <clears throat> in English football that they had these great names like uh, Zola turning up and um, <clears throat> Cantona even. I mean, they were they, they, it was so exciting to know what they were going to do next. And I haven't really had that for a long time. And I've said, I, you know, I'm dazzled by Man City, but I was kind of a bit bored. But now I'm really excited. I mean, do you think Haaland's going to be a 40-goal-a-season player? I think he'll be 30, maybe which is enough, more than enough. Um, yes, a big change in a week, isn't it, from, uh, from the Community Shield. Some people are writing him off uh, because he missed that chance, one chance, uh, open goal, and looked a bit clumsy, didn't seem to fit in. But um, a week later, I think Man, Man City were fitting in around him. Uh, he was like the focal point. He couldn't miss him. And he's so physically strong and fast. You don't usually get that combination, except in Olympic sprinters. You get a big man who is really like lightning. And he's got that. And that's, that's absolutely tremendous. You, there's really not much you can do against that. So, uh, yeah, uh, for the money they paid, uh, he was uh, on, a, um, on a clause, uh, a sell-by clause, wasn't he? It was only 50-odd million pounds. So he's got to be considered a bargain. He's being paid a lot. He's getting 
400k a week. I think is second only to Ronaldo. Um, but I mean, if he does he does deliver 25, 30 goals, then uh, it's going to be well worth it. I mean, that's you're in what territory? Uh, well, Ronaldo territory, aren't you? Ronaldo at his best. Mm. That's, a, that's the sort of figure he delivered at his peak for Real Madrid. Not since kind of like the, the likes of Shearer, really? No, no. Yeah. Um, so, but again, it's only one game. Uh, so we've had him written off as a flop and then next game he's a 40-goal season man. So the third game, I wonder what he's going to be. It'll be very interesting to see. But alarmingly for City, I think alarmingly for City fans certainly, there's talk of uh, Bernardo Silva leaving. I mean, it's it sounds hard to believe that Pep is prepared to countenance letting so many players go. I mean, uh, three have gone already, three from the first team squad, and he changed his mind about Nathan Ake. He's let, he was letting him go until somebody pointed out that he was going to a rival, Chelsea. Well, Bernardo Silva has always wanted to go to Barcelona, um, and there's, there's talk that this could happen, so... To me, Bernardo Silva was just about their player of the year last year. I think only Kevin De Bruyne would would probably be considered more valuable. So I think that he's he's got to stay. Otherwise, they're going to have problems. Uh, who needs him? You've got Haaland. Just you need a goalkeeper and Haaland, and you're done. We got get somebody to get the ball to Haaland, and Silva oh, well, does okay. that. Yeah, all right, fair enough. You got De Bruyne, but I mean, I want a, bit, a little bit more Haaland love, um, Keshika. How come, I don't know, the question I've really been wanting to ask you for ages, like, how come I could play like Haaland? I mean, how come everybody can't play like Haaland? How come there's only one Haaland? I think it's a combination of natural like talent. There's some part of it that plays into that. But I also think that it's the understanding of the game. So if you're a striker and you know how to move off the ball and position yourself and, and timing of it, like if you look at the goal that um, Kevin De Bruyne passed, the perfectly weighted pass, you need to be at the right time, at the right place and understand your teammates quickly. So the fact that he's gone into City and been able to do that, that shows the quality that the player is. It's not just shooting accurately. It's about understanding how to move and when to anticipate his team's movement and how they're going to attack. So I think to have that game intelligence is what differentiates like, great players to average players. Mm. I guess I guess it'll never be for me now. Um, but but what's really exciting for me also is that uh, Pep Guardiola, of all people, Mr. Tiki Taka, Mr. Triangles, Mr. Cutbacks, he's the one who's reintroducing 1970s football, just punt it up to the big guy up front and uh, and leave it to him. Hey, uh, Bob, I, I, the 70s were great. Yeah, ironic, isn't it, of all people. But... Pep's had a funny relationship with, uh, with let's call them centre-forwards, if we're going back that far. Um, I mean, going back to uh, Samuel Eto'o, uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, a um, couple I think I, I've, I've missed out. Even Aguero, um, he didn't get on too well with him at, at the start, did he? Um, it's as if they're, they've been superfluous to his system. Like he's said that he would like to pick a team of uh, all midfielders. Uh, he, he likes to walk the ball into the net. So for him to go for, for Haaland, as you say, you know, old-style stuff, um, it, it's 
really defeats the object in a way of of Pep's mesmeric football. But then they've got to get the ball to him. So there's a bit of a bit of passing to be done before he actually gets the ball. So I guess we just have to sit back and enjoy that. And then when he gets it, it's uh, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Yeah. Well, who knows? Maybe it become uh, the repeat, the, the revival of uh, George Graham football. Uh, and speaking of which, let's go to Arsenal. Keshika, they, uh, Arsenal impressed me. And, and the, I, I almost feel kind of annoyed that they impressed me. And I, I don't know why, but I, it's kind of the, the, the Arteta project might be coming together. It's, uh, they've had some really good transfers. This is their season? Question mark. I think it's still early to tell if it's their season because, again, it goes back to being able to be consistently performing. And I don't think that they've done that in the past or even the last season. It's always been up and down. So I think that if they could use this transfer and they could be consistent in their performance, then, yeah, it could be their season. But the arrival of Jesus, I think, uh, especially, gives them a, a kind of winning steal, that Manchester City steal, and, but also the guile. So I think that it's quite interesting because of what we just spoke about earlier. If Man City is going to come in and change the way that it's played, because previously when they played Tiki Taka and everyone started thinking, okay, we have to counter that, we figure out formations and play that would either counter that or are similar to that because it seemed to be working for one team. And then you have him change that. Now, would that also have a knock-on effect to the way Arsenal play? And Arsenal having their previous player in, would they now adopt that type of system and change that? That could be the interesting thing to see this season. All right. So Arsenal are kind of like, they've fallen for Pep's master plan and, and are now a step behind. They're playing yesterday's football. <laughs> Whereas City are playing yesterday's, yesterday's, yesterday's football. It's like fashion comes around, I think. Uh, yeah, well, uh, well. Speaking of bell bottoms, uh, Bob, uh, how do you how do you feel about uh, Arsenal this this coming season? Oh, I think they're going to give it a, a good go. I think um, top four is a, a, a real possibility. I think the Arteta project is definitely working. Don't forget, he he was at the knee of Pep for a couple of years. He was his assistant, so he knows his uh, inner thoughts and. He knows all the secrets there, and I think he's trying to uh, give a Arsenal a sort of Man City Mark II. Um, and he's bought well. He, I mean, he's bought a couple of City players, as we've said, Jesus and Zinchenko. Uh, Zinchenko is a very underrated player. Mm, he's a midfielder. So. Yeah. Uh, play, plays for Ukraine uh, in midfield, and Pep uh, stuck him at left back in an emergency, and he did a a good enough job to stay there for quite a bit. Um, but I think Arsenal are going to get the benefit of his uh, midfield uh, tenacity and creativity, knowing that he can also always go and fill in at left back if needed. So an excellent signing for relatively little money, I think about 25, 30 million. Jesus himself, I thought, was quite cheap, quite good value. I mean, he's, he's the ninth highest scorer in the Premier League, you know, in the cu- of current players. Um, sometimes doesn't get the credit deserved. He had a couple of crippling injuries, but when he arrived at City, he was brilliant, absolutely brilliant, and then he, he got injured. But I think now, as a more mature player, hopefully over his injuries, uh, under a guy he trusts, Arteta, and in a, 
a team that will pass to him and uh, he's going to be the main man, then uh, I think it's going to work. I really do. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, well, let's keep watching Arsenal um, and not being frustrated. Poor old Arsenal fans. So we're going to move on, though. And in a moment, we're going to come uh, back and look at, uh, I think, what could be one of the big matches, uh, which will be Spurs-Chelsea here on Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. More football when we come back. Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. And we're back on Just for Kicks here on BFM 89.9 with Keshika Subaral and Bob Holmes. We were briefly with Des Corkill, but he is definitely going through a tunnel somewhere in Japan. And so uh, we're going to go now to uh, upcoming match, Chelsea versus Spurs on Sunday. Spurs well, Keshika, they looked really scary good on um, over the weekend. I'm sure it was it was Southampton. And although you have just said that uh, pre-seasons are overrated, <laughs> they had a really grueling pre-season where Conte was forcing his players to run uh, lengths, like 40-something lengths, and at the of the pitch being watched by Korean crowds, and they were vomiting at the end and collapsing, and that sounds kind of stupid, but perhaps it's paying off because they looked fit and fighting fit. So I think that when I say preseason doesn't predict the season, it's more towards the results. But the training that you do in preseason needs to be really intense so that you can adapt physically to the demands of the season. And I think one thing that Conte is known to do is um, really tough training sessions. So maybe Spurs weren't used to that previously, and that's their first time under his uh, regime to do that. But I think if they continue this and being physically more fit than other teams in that sense will allow them to last longer on the pitch. Because if you're able to play a match when you're tired and fatigued and you're able to still make decision in the same quality that you would when you're not tired, that will make a whole lot of difference in terms of how that game play out compared to your opponent. So I think if they continue down this path, they're going to possibly challenge City for the title. Uh, absolutely. But Keshika, also psychological. If if all the team were in on this grueling training that was sort of sadistic on the part of their boss, d- d- doesn't it also sort of bind them together? Because Spurs is Spurs, you know. You've got to break that Spursiness thing. I think that there used to be teams that would, before World Cup for international training camps, they would actually go down with the whichever country's military camps and train with the army and they work as a team for that specific purpose. So in part, it could also be psychological. They could bond as a team doing that. Yeah. And also, you know, deliberately to uh, Bob to make the players hate the manager. Um, <clears throat> no, no bad thing. Uh, you don't have to be their, their friend. But Keshika uh, said that they could be run, runners-up to City. Uh, I know it's only been one match. I like to I like to make definite statements on very little evidence, and and I'd say for sure Spurs are going to be second, and they they're going to beat this Chelsea. Well, I don't know about that. Um, there's always been this thing that Chelsea have had over Spurs. I mean, That's true. There've yeah. been lots of years when Spurs fans have thought, okay, this year we're going to get them, but. They seldom do. And last year, Chelsea beat them four times out of four. 
So, uh, but I think this is coming, this game is coming a bit too early for Chelsea because they're still busy signing players. They, they're trying to sign Frankie de Jong, uh, for one, um, much to Manchester United's chagrin. Um, but it looks like he's going there. He, uh, he has mixed feelings about leaving Barcelona. I don't know whether you want to get into the finances of Barcelona on, on this show, but um, I think everyone knows they're in a, in a bit of a mess and he's not being paid his due. But uh, he doesn't really want to go to Manchester. He said that. He doesn't like the city. He prefers to go to London. So he's he looks as if crazy, he's going that's to, crazy talk. I mean, you well, know. I I don't know. I, I would I can see where he's coming from. Absolutely. <laughs> um, he uh, if he goes to Chelsea, they're they're going to have a very impressive side. You know, when you think about the um, signings they've made, I mean, all the talk was there was going to be big holes in the defence when uh, Roman Abramovich uh, left when he when he was sanctioned and the takeover took place. Because uh, Antonio Rudica and uh, Andres Christensen left on, uh, they ran their contracts down, and uh, Chelsea had to get some centre centre backs in. Well, they got a like for like for Rudica in uh, Kalidou Koulibaly uh, for thirty odd million, uh, experienced one of the best centre backs in European football for years, a very very strong uh, player there. Uh, they've if they get De Jong. Uh, they've got Gallagher coming back from loan at Crystal Palace. They signed Chukwemeka, a young prospect from Aston Villa, for £20 million. They think more of him than uh, Steven Gerrard does, obviously. But he's supposed to be a, a, a hot prospect. Uh, and they got rid of Timo Werner, Mr. Offside, Mr. Miss Open Goals, and they got thirty million for him. They got, almost got their money back. He's gone back to Leipzig, so they did some good business. Um, they're paying over the odds, though. I think uh, Cucurella is another um, from Brighton, the left wing back, Spanish left wing back, uh, brilliant player, very versatile, can play on either flank. But they're paying sixty-two point five million for him. Manchester City offered thirty and were prepared to go up to 35, and then they walked away. So Chelsea are really going for broke here. I mean, they're making Abramovich look stingy. This, this is incredible, but they are assembling a very good side. But as I said before, I think this game has probably come too early for all these players to gel and, and even get their, even have their shirts photographed. I think they're, they're in the process of signing more. But uh, they, are, they are going to be a force this season. Well, uh, yes. And also, uh, Bob reminds me that traditionally it has been in the Spurs players' contracts that they're not allowed to beat Chelsea. Uh, so I don't know if they've removed that clause, finally. Um, so let, uh, let's move, Keshika, to um, kind of one extreme to the other. I want to just jump to Aston Villa versus Everton. And perhaps we can finally answer the question, can Lampard and Gerrard be, be on the same pitch at the same time? Uh, I, this is kind of fascinating, this, this pairing, because they, they're going to be ho- They are, I think, going to be hovering above relegation. I, 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 and I, Gerrard's not had... He's not been successful. Somebody pointed out that he's actually um, less successful than uh, Gary Neville was at Valencia when he got sacked. And so uh, 
and I, I can't actually figure out what their styles are, either of them. Uh, how, do you, can you uh, comprehend what Aston Villa is? I thought Aston Villa did quite well when he first took over, but then seeing how it played out, it might have been the remnants of the previous manager rather than Gerard's way of implementing the style of play that he wants to implement here. It might have worked with Rangers for some reason, or it could be one of those cases where he went in at the right time and the remnants of the previous manager was the one that carried him through the season. And then he left and he came to Villa and tried to recreate that, but it isn't quite there. It isn't hitting the mark. Because when you watch Villa play, you don't actually know what they're trying to accomplish. It's, it accomplish. it's more like, we're going to go out there and do our best not to lose. But there's no actual playing style. Do they want to play fast, play quick? Do they want to counter? Do they want to play through the thirds? Or do they want to go long, switch play? There's nothing to it. It's all over the place. So it's quite hard to tell right now what is their game plan and what are they expecting from for the season. Yeah, I, I'm glad you said that because I, I've been scratching my head as well. And um, uh, Bob, uh, Lampard over at Everton, I've, I've had him down as the next manager to be sacked since... Well, I think since before he was manager of Everton, uh, <laughs> but but uh, I don't know. Maybe he'll prove everybody or well, prove, prove me wrong. Well, he is everybody's favourite uh, for the sack race. Uh, almost odds on with the bookies, but I think he's got competition for that actually, and he's bought reasonably well. Um, I think that he obviously would have had no say in allowing Richarlison to leave. Um, no manager. Allows their best player and uh, biggest goal scorer uh, to go before the season starts, but um, I think he's behind the guys that have come in. He's got two pretty sound defenders in uh, James Tarkovsky from Burnley and uh, Cody from uh, Wolves. Uh, Cody's a full England international. Um, he's, he's a contender for a World Cup place. And he is a, a scouser, but he, he actually supports uh, Liverpool and he's going to play for Everton. But he won't be the first to do that. And you can be guaranteed 100% effort, Everton fans, in case you're wondering. Um, I think those two acquisitions are, um, are pretty sound. And then he's gone and bought Onana from um, the French, uh, from Ligue 1 in uh, France. Uh, paid 33 million for him. He's a really good ball player. He can carry the ball. And I think that's something else that Le Everton have lacked. So although I do wonder where the goals are going to come from, I think they're going to be a bit sounder in defense and probably offer more in midfield. So really on paper, I think they'll survive. But going back to Gerard, I think there are uncanny similarities between these two who famously couldn't play together on the pitch, um, neither has really proved himself as a great tactical wizard, as a manager. They can talk a good game. They're intelligent men, and they know, they know what it's all about. But they've not done it yet. The jury is very much out on both of them, and I think it'll be fascinating to see if either one really makes it as a manager. Mm. Uh, I... Kashika, unfortunately, uh, for the next the next one I want to talk about is Nottingham Forest versus West Ham, and so we have to go to Bob Holmes here. Um, 
with his team, Nottingham Forest. He's going to tell us. He's going to do. do a, he's got four minutes to do a blow by blow of uh, Forest's famous victory over Malmo, and perhaps we'll also talk about Liverpool. But perhaps he could also tell us about how Forest have started the season. He was very, you know, like a, any football fan, very hopeful. But it was it wasn't a good start last uh, last weekend, Bob. It was awful, uh, Cam. No, no need to dress it up. It was awful. It was pitiful. I read uh, one reporter wrote pitiful, and I couldn't disagree. Uh, the wind has totally gone out of uh, uh, Forest fan sails, but it's coming back. No, oh, um, that didn't take long. <laughs> it's coming back. It's, it was the initial shock, the reality check. Um, to see six uh, six of the new signings were actually on the field. And they really were were desperately bad. It, it should have been a lot more. I think the only crumb of comfort that Forrest can take from that is that they defended stoutly. Uh, the keeper was the best player, never a good sign. Dean Henderson on loan from Man United. Uh, he, he made some good saves and his distribution was excellent. He looked a class above anybody else uh, in, the forest, uh, in the forest side. Uh, but, of course, it's going to take time to gel. You can't go and buy uh, 12 or 14 and counting now, I think. They've bought a couple since um, that game, and they Whoa. need them. But it's going to take time to, to gel. And Lingard hardly touched the ball. He showed a little bit, but um, they couldn't keep the ball. And it was really a case, I thought they looked out of their depth. It did really look like a poor championship side against a reasonably good premiership side so 2-0 we got let off lightly but I am expecting better uh, Steve Cooper will have had a week uh, with the players and we know a week is a long time in football yeah, isn't and it just, eh? cu- couple new a couple of new ones uh, they would have learned a lot so I, I still think that they've got a chance with the crowd behind them because Forest's uh, city ground is quite a place to go to uh, the crowd is, um, is is really really behind the the team and uh, quite an intimidating atmosphere. So uh, I, I I give us uh, us sorry, Forrest. Yep. yep. A fighting Electric shock there for on Bob Holmes. Um, okay. Well, Bob is uh, delusional, and <laughs> bless him, Keshika, You were right last last weekend about. Fulham, how Fulham should go about it and just play their game. If you're in charge of Nottingham Forest and you've just received 14 new players, um, what would you, how would you, I mean, survival is the key or just go down in a in a blaze of glory? I think that comes down to how well the manager can put the players, bring the players together. So he needs to play to their strength because you don't have much time and every game counts at this point. So if you can sort of pick out the strengths of the player and look at how to use that to create a playing style that's going to adapt to what you already have, that could be like a shortcut to getting out of this and then building a playing style later on. Because right now you cannot reintroduce a completely new thing that you want or look back at the previous season and try to do what you've done before. So that will be the quickest way to get things done. Uh, so Forrester doomed. According to Kashiko. <laughs> That's all I heard. That's all I heard. Hope not. <laughs> but uh, they, and according to Bob, they just need time, which of course is a commodity, which is always in such abundance in the Premier League, isn't it? And uh, so we, we, we move on, though, speaking of time. And in a moment, we're going to wrap up the uh, 
Premier League. And, but also we're going to look at the uh, Super Cup and perhaps we'll find out what the hell is happening at Barcelona here on Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. More football when we come back. Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. And we're back on Just for Kicks on the final part. And so we're just going to wrap up the uh, Premier League by just looking at a couple of teams that we kind of glance past and try to discern what their seasons are going to be based on one match, which in my mind is all we need. So uh, we crossed past it when we talked about Forrest just now, uh, Keshika, West Ham. And we were talking earlier about how you couldn't discern a style with Aston Villa. And with the David Moyes team, I kind of slightly struggled to discern a style as well. But they seem to well, sometimes, anyway, do very well. West Ham had a good season last year. And uh, uh, how, how, how is it going to go for them? How, what, do you, what do you see this West Ham? I think West Ham is going to be what Everton used to be under Moyes. They're, they can put out con- somewhat consistent average performance that gets them through the season, but they're never actually going to take a risk and challenge for anything, whether that's the top six or top seven or go down too deep because they're met, they're quite good at being consistent in some way, being very averagely consistent. So that has kept them surviving in the middle. So I think that could be a David Morris thing where he just implement the same style of um, managing from Everton to West Ham now. Mm. Oh yeah. Okay. So a man of many dimensions. <laughs> it's, it's Everton and that's it. It's uh, David Moyes cup. It always was because <laughs> he was at Everton for donkey's years, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, Bob, uh, you've been mentioning transfers. How come nobody's bought Declan Rice? He's a great player. He is. Good question. But they wanted an extortionate amount of money for him. I think that's the reason. Um, and, and he preferred to go to Chelsea, he said. Uh, that wouldn't have pleased West Ham fans. But um, he didn't fancy going to uh, Manchester, either City or United. He's a London boy. Uh, of Irish descent, but a London boy. Um, and uh, I don't think Chelsea um, had room for him because they've, they've got a pretty good midfield, haven't they? And they had Conor Gallagher coming back to, uh, to strengthen it even more. So uh, there was no real opportunity. And given they had, whoever it was had to pay, what, $150 million or something Whoa. was mentioned. Yeah, it was just a deterrent. And mm. I think it worked. And West Ham's owners are are rather tough people to bargain with anyway. So um, he ended up staying. Mm. And uh, Keshika, these two teams are actually playing each other uh, this coming weekend. Uh, Brighton and Newcastle United. I'd like to ask you about Brighton. Again, my inability to discern a style. But Brighton were, were very successful last season, except for the fact they couldn't score goals. Going on the... the uh, the evidence of last weekend it looks like they can score goals and uh can you explain to me how they play football i think they do enough to counter the playing style of the opponent rather than having a playing style of their own so they're good at reading the opponent's game and doing just enough to get by but not enough to score but obviously not true from last weekend maybe that's the difference in this season where they you know now decided that they're also going to attack more aggressively but previously, I think this was last season and the season before that, 
it was quite hard for big teams to go to Amex Stadium and beat Brighton at home. So I think it might be one of those things where they're refining their style and they need to break out of the comfort zone of a certain playing style and experiment a bit more. Because they're a bit different than like Everton, say, or like Aston Villa that does not have a specific style of play. Well then, um, Keshka, I'll ask you a follow-up question. Therefore, um, who is going to be the next manager of Manchester United? Is it Graham Potter or is it Eddie Howe? And when will it be? <laughs> well, we don't know. At this rate, it could be next week. <laughs> <laughs> Which one would you take? Which one would you take? I would prefer to stick with Ten Hag. Oh, she's so, oh my God. You don't work for them, by the way. I just want to, you know, make that clear. You're a fan. You're not an employee. Um, and therefore, uh, one final uh, club that I just want to quit, Bob, I want to ask you about um, that we haven't really mentioned. And I never mention it. And this may be the last time we mention it this season. So I've given them a bit of time. Southampton. I have, I mean, Southampton. Bob Holmes. <laughs> well, yes, um, I know what you mean. But uh, they have um, they have played a role uh, in modern football. You know, they've won the cup famously against Man United. They've uh, been in oh, the league. Sorry, cup when, when, final. when was that? When was that? What? Uh, some time ago. Some time ago. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Before Ferguson. Um, <laughs> okay. But uh, I remember it. All right. Uh, I mean, they've yo-yoed a bit. They were down in the third division at one time. They nearly went out of business, but they've come back. I built a, a new stadium, but they never quite crack it because they're known as a selling club. They have to sell. And they, they sold about seven players to Liverpool, didn't they, in, mm. in recent times? Pretty good ones too. Uh, Virgil van Dijk, uh, Mane, uh, Adam Lallana, um, two or three others, but they were the, yeah. probably the better ones. But uh, if you do that... You, you're never going to get anywhere, are you? So it's a classic case of a selling club. And they, they, just, they just seem content to take the broadcasting money from the Premier League, do enough to avoid relegation, and uh, the owners are happy. So not a very inspiring team. I, I, I mean, I can't imagine them having a global following if that's, that's all they do. So, yeah, uh, I think actually they... They could even slip down, uh, but um, we'll see. The, the one guy that they bought, who's actually worth a mention, Joe Aribo from Rangers, who's a, uh, an astute signing because they didn't pay much for him. But my friend, a fanatical Rangers fan, was very sorry to see him go and says he's a, he's a very good addition to, uh, to Southampton. So Joe Aribo is a name to look for. Apart from that, uh, I don't give them much chance. Uh, okay, so Southampton fans uh, in Malaysia, that's um, that's our Southampton talk for this season. And uh, <laughs> no, if something remarkable happens, we'll, we'll definitely come back. But I want to jump ahead now to um, the Super Cup. This is where the winners of the Champions League and the Europa Cup meet. And it was Real Madrid 2, Eintracht Frankfurt 0. And Karim, Karim Benzema was the... Sh the star of the show, he has now surpassed Raul as uh, a top scorer at uh, Real Madrid, but I think he's like 200 goals still behind Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, he'll never get past that. And so Keshika, uh, Karim Benzema, he was a bit under the shadow of, well, he was very much under the shadow of Ronaldo there, but he was kind of a really great servant 
uh, people are saying that he was a very unselfish player. Um, he sounds like the kind of player you really want to have in your team. I think that's quite an underrated trait that even now a lot of youth players don't seem to recognize. When when you go for trials or when you want to impress coaches, usually we're not always looking at the goal scorer. Yeah, the, there's a big part of that because it's obvious you score goals, you win games. But if a player knows how to move off the ball, if a player knows how to create chances, sometimes that's more valuable than the player that can need supply. Because if you need supply, you need someone to create that supply. And those type of players are not easy to come by. And I think Benzema is one of those, that he's been under the shadow for so long and unrecognized for that side of him. And then now that, you know, the whole Messi-Ronaldo thing is people are recognizing that it's a one-off thing and they're looking at other players and there's more variety that's being recognized. Then people are recognizing players like this with those traits are actually quite valuable. So you would you would take a, a Karim Benzema or a Giroud um, over Lionel Messi if you were offered for your team. You go, oh, okay. Well, it depends if you have <laughs> Emil Heskey. You do take Emil Heskey over Ronaldo. <laughs> is what you're saying? <laughs> Not quite, but <laughs> <laughs> but it's 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 under it's an underrated trait, and and a minority of players, I suppose, have that kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, Bob, did you uh, – Eintracht Frankfurt and Real Madrid, not a combination that happens very often, but it has happened before. Yes, uh, most memorably um, in the 60s, so memorably that um, I can't remember the year, but I'm, I think it's either 60 or 61. And it was a famous European Cup final, as it was then called. The result was Real Madrid 7 Eintracht 3. So the 138,000 fans who packed Hamden Park, Glasgow in the pouring rain got their money's worth. Alex Ferguson was one of them. And it was so good, the game, that uh, FIFA and even the uh, English FA, Spanish FA, p- perhaps not the German FA, made copies of this game, of the, of the video. I think there were videos then or whatever there was. You could record a game in, uh, in those days. And they sent copies around to uh, coaching academies and schools and all sorts because they wanted to say, this is how to play football. Real Madrid have never, or no one ever has played as well as Real Madrid did that night. It was just magical stuff. Alfredo Di Stefano scored three and uh, Ferenc Puskas scored four. And Puskas has got, people know the name now through the Puskas Award, uh, the greatest goal scored in world football every year, is the Puskas Award winner. But Di Stefano was actually a better player and in my opinion is among the top half dozen of all time, right up there with Pelé, Maradona, Messi. Um, he, he was a goal scorer and a creator. Uh, he, has, he was a wonderful player and Real Madrid named their training ground after him, which I think is an insult. I think he should have had a, a main stand in the, in the Bernabeu or even renamed the Bernabeu after him because he was that good. Alfredo Di Stefano, if anybody can catch a glimpse of this grainy footage, it is well worth it. And that's the last time these two clubs met. 
It was, uh, and it was a, it was the game um, that was chosen by the football commentator Kenneth Wollstenholme, who's famous for saying, "There are people on the pitch." They think it's all over. It's it all is over. now. Exactly. That guy. 1966 World Cup, by the way. Yeah. Well, he chose this game, Real Madrid-Eintracht, as the best game of his life in mm. a book I, I did. And uh, th- th- it was that good. He, mm-hmm. and he commentated for about 50 years on European football. So, you know. He, was, he saw a few. It was pretty good. Okay. So, uh, Kashika, did you know any of that? No. I think I, think I saw you Googling. <laughs> Way before now. my time. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Di Stefano. That's two different words, by the way. <laughs> um, so, well, that brings us to the end of uh, this week's show. A bit of history there. And, uh, well, I'd like to thank uh, Bob Holmes for being here. Bob, with his new microphone. Sound great. Thanks, uh, everybody. Thanks for listening. I hope, uh, hope it sounds better. Oh, yeah, yeah. He used, to, he used to sound like a telemarketeer, I told him. Um, there wasn't one. But it wasn't one, but he sounded like one. <laughs> and Akeshika Subarao. Thank you for having me. And you've you got to be all kind of bright and optimistic, aren't you? Brentford, <laughs> yay, bring it on. <laughs> um, and uh, Des Corkill, somewhere in, lost in Japan, and uh, but he was here for a short while. And myself, Cam Raslan, our producer for this episode is Hanif, and uh, we thank him. And so until Monday, <laughs> this has been Just for Kicks here on BFM 89.9. For more football, tune in Mondays and Fridays at 8pm. Just for kicks on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.